Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the trenches. Today, I'm joined by Keston Crandall, who's going to tell us his story of how he built Squirb all by himself using serverless technologies. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. So uh, we got in touch through the guys at the phone and DB. And uh, from what we discussed before the show, it sounds like you've got some really interesting stories to tell here. Um, can you maybe just give our listeners a quick introduction about yourself, uh, what you've been doing and your experience with uh, serverless so far? Yeah, so my name is Keston Crandall. Uh, I recently uh, graduated from the George Washington University with two master's degrees, one in information systems technology and one in business analytics. I'm very passionate about music and electronic dance music. So a a long time ago, I used to, uh, a couple years ago, win these contests where you would be able to meet the DJ. And I thought that was really cool and how you could get these personalized interactions with musicians. So I kind of thought, how can you make that more ubiquitous across everyone and especially the more devoted fans? Because for some of them, they were DJs that I just heard the first time and I just won some random contest. So I probably wasn't the most deserving fan. So I thought of the idea of coming up with Squirb, which is sort of like Instagram, Patreon, and some other features where you can subscribe to these artists similar to Patreon and get rewards such as uh, a phone call or maybe a meet and greet or going out to lunch with them or asking them a question or getting merchandise. Uh, so, And then there's also the social feature where uh, they have a news feed. You can follow all their new releases. Uh, you can see uh, their discographies. Um, and you can also, there's another feature for basically it's crowdsourced promotion. So some people might not have as much money to be able to, you know, support their artists, but they might be able to promote on Instagram or Facebook and they get points based on how well their posts do. And then they can use that to spend on rewards that the artists put up on their profile. Okay, so that's such a pretty cool idea. I uh, really like the fact that uh, you have a way now to get in touch with your favorite artists uh, through the, your platform. So how do you went about building your platform? What sort of technologies were you using to build this whole thing yourself? So um, we're using Azure Functions as our REST layer that hosts our static landing page. It hosts our entire REST API. Then we have Xamarin, which is for the mobile application. Uh, It's cross-platform right now, iOS and Android, using Xamarin Forms. We could also expand that to UWP and Mac if we wanted to, with a little bit of work. Um, We also have FaunaDB as our database, uh, and we have Azure Search API, which powers the search bar. Okay, so you're using uh, Azure Functions mainly as your REST layer. I guess for the the entire application, how long did that take you as a single person to put together? Um, I would say it took me about maybe nine months working a little less than half time to develop the entire thing. And uh, where would you say most of the time is spent? Was it spent on the UI side of things where you sort of customize the UI, the user experience and all of that? Yeah, so the UI was a was a big portion. Um, crawling the relevant music APIs was somewhat difficult uh, because I was trying to link um, albums together. So when you get an album, you can open it up in Deezer or whatever. So crawling, I think I have Deezer, Napster, Spotify, Apple Music, um, and Music Brains are all crawled. 
so that that was difficult to make sure that they all had good data. Yeah, I would say, I would definitely say that the user interface was the longest. So for your crawler, so these are your um, Azure functions that are being triggered by some kind of a cron job that pings those uh, Spotify and other platforms and get the list of records and artists. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Azure Functions has something called timer triggers, and you basically set a cron interval, and uh, they'll be triggered every 10 minutes, hour, whatever you set. Um, so I just keep going through that, and every like 10 minutes, I search for new stuff, and it's just continuously crawling. And as a user that comes onto your platform and getting and register with the platform, how do you implement the so user management side of things? Were you using something that came with Azure, or were you using like a third party uh, such as Off Zero? Uh, for user management, uh, they just whenever they change their account or make a post, they're just hitting a button on the app, and then it sends data up to Azure Functions, and then that gets stored in the database for the persistence in Fauna. Okay, and so with Azure and Azure Functions, how do you, I guess, decide to use uh, Azure in the first place? Sounds like you coming from a you you came from a .NET backgrounds because you're using Xamarin already. So was Azure just like the the logical option when it comes to building the backend? Yeah, so Azure, if you're if you're a .NET developer, I would say Azure has some of the best client libraries for C Sharp. I mean, that's I think what they develop first. Also. I was considering Lambda. The reason why I don't like Lambda as much as Azure Functions is because Azure Functions has the, the HTTP REST layer built in by default, and it takes almost no time to configure. And the other nice thing is it's actually just an app service. So when you, you can build your entire project, and with one button in Visual Studio, just ship it up so it's easy deployment. Uh, whereas Lambda, you have to manage each function as its sort of own uh, Lambda function, you have to manage dependency for each individual function instead of just managing for the whole project. And then you have to do API gateway for Lambda, which is another uh, kind of hassle. So there's a little more management with Lambda as opposed to Azure Functions where everything's sort of just there for you and it, it takes a lot less time in my opinion. I think some of that you can mitigate a lot of those with the right tools. For example, when I'm working on with Lambda, I don't sort of, you know, manage the dependency for individual functions. I develop them as a, as a single project, and the whole thing is got to upload it as one artifact. Uh, so there's no frameworks like the server framework that kind of, sort of manages a lot of that for you. Um, so it's not as much work as you may think. Uh, but I do think that having to have uh, API Gateway is a bit of hustle in terms of configuration if you have to do it by hand. Again, with the right tools like the serverless framework, it makes a lot of that easier. But you do have the additional cost upfront as well, the um, operational cost, because API Gateway itself is not particularly cheap. Um, but what it does give you, though, is uh, a lot of control around authentication and all of that. So in this case, uh, uh, if I remember correctly, with Azure Functions, you do get the HTTP endpoints for free, but you don't have any way to authenticate requests with the HTTP uh, endpoints. Is that right? Uh, they do have a way for you to use. So I make all mine anonymous functions, so they're open up to the world, and then I use my own custom authentication logic. Um, but you are you are able to have a authentication built in. I've not really explored that too much, but you can set um, different authentication levels for each function. Okay, uh, so with the database, you picked the Fauna DB. 
Um, and uh, one of the sort of one of the things I thought that Azure has got has done really well is uh, with the Cosmo DB. It's got a lot of capabilities, and from the outside looking in, Cosmo DB seems to be the de facto sort of option people go into. How come you chose uh, Fauna DB? What is the sort of main driver for that decision? I actually really do like Cosmos. I think it's a wonderful database. And I originally started using Cosmos for the first one or two weeks that I was developing this project. Uh, I think I was using the SQL API for Cosmos. The one thing that I was, as I was researching Cosmos more and more, I was thinking about transactions and uh, doing payments and, and moving funds around. And Cosmos at the time when I was developing at least did not have cross collection transactionality. So you couldn't have consistency across across collections, and that was a big issue. And the great thing about Fauna is when you put anything inside of a do function in Fauna, um, everything is either uh, committed altogether or it's nothing's committed at all. So if you abort the transaction at any point in that transaction, it fails and the whole thing fails, which is a very, very, very useful thing. Um, Another thing that is different now, but when I was developing, Cosmos didn't have a consumption-based, truly serverless um, plan. They do now, I think. But when I was doing it, you had to provision a certain number of, I forget what, IOs or RDUs or, or something. Um, and I wanted a truly serverless where I could just put it up and it would automatically scale um, with the usage, which Fauna had back then and they do now. Um, so, yeah. I I think some other reasons why Fauna is great is uh, they allow you, their, their client libraries, especially in .NET, have a bunch of functionality. So the C-sharp client library has an encoder and decoder. So um, Cosmos also has this, but not everything has this. You can serialize all of your um, classes up uh, very easily and just uh, create them in the database without having to uh, property by property, uh, write code to do that. Um, so that comes out of the box. Uh, another thing that Fauna is developing that I was really for is um, something that you probably would worry about and why you might choose Cosmos is they have the ability for you to host your database now in a specific region so that can reduce your data egress charges and deal with compliance if you need it. So yeah, that that's some of the reasons why I picked Fauna. Okay, that's that's actually interesting because uh, does that mean that the Fauna itself is uh, runs on runs in the Azure and that's how they're able to use the same regions and and reduce the data ingress charges? Uh yeah, I don't run it like that, but yeah, if you were that's something that's very new in Fauna and that they're working on. I think it should be available soon. Um, if you request like an enterprise uh, plan. Uh, but yeah, you can you can put it in a region and it will auto scale and you'll still be paying in the serverless model, uh, but you'll just get to choose where it runs. Okay, that's a, that's actually quite interesting integration sort of model or pricing model for uh, for Fauna. And uh, before I think we when we talked about this before the show, you also talked about potentially using some of the graph-based queries uh, you get with Fauna as well, and you looked at Neo4j at the same time for some of those uh, same queries. Yeah, so I always think about my data like a graph and not like a traditional SQL data model. Um, 
so in Fauna, the way you can do that is if you want to make, for example, an edge between two um, other collection types, for example, let's say um, with Facebook or my app, you can like a post or you can like an album or something. That is an edge. So it would be the like the liker likes the likey and the likey can be a post or it can be different uh, collection types where in an SQL database, you wouldn't be able to do that because uh, you would have to say like uh, user like uh, post and then you would have to enforce referential integrity uh, from the many to many relationship uh, to the uh, post or the user. But here you can have an artist likes the post, a user likes the post um, and it's truly a graph model. Um, you lose out on, at least right now, they don't have all the complex graph queries that something like Neo4j might have, uh, but they said that they're very interested in that and they're developing it. And Fauna seems really on board with the uh, graph train compared to the SQL train. Yeah, I've done quite a bit of work in the past with uh, Neo4j and I do love the graph databases. Um, I do, and if possible, I would like to use it a lot more. Uh, one of the problems I find with Neo4j is just, this, I guess, it's not easy to run it yourself. There's a couple of services out there like GraphineDB that uh, gives you hosted Neo4j. Well, I guess the other problem with that, uh, with Neo4j, is just that everything has to run in memory. So you need pretty sizable machines to run them, uh, which gets expensive quickly. And there's no horizontal scalability, I guess. Well, you can have read replicas, but you can't have a, a, a sharding. And... Um, is that something that the Fauna DB addresses in terms of that scalability issue that you have with some of these solutions like Neo4j? Yeah, so uh, Fauna DB has pretty much, from what I can tell, infinite scalability. And you can create as many indexes as you want. And the indexes are the way you query data. So if you want to, for example, filter by, let's say, gender, you have to make an index for gender and then make an intersection or a difference or make a compound index that has filters that has like terms for gender and maybe age. Yeah. So um, from my experience, you can just scale it pretty much as, as much as you want. And Fauna takes care of um, all, all the scaling. You don't really have to worry about that. Um, in terms of querying, it is a, in reading, there's a lot more user setup than for example, other databases. Um, they require you to make indexes. Uh, so if you want to, for example, filter on gender and age, you can make two index, indexes, one on gender, one on age, and then do, for example, the intersection or the difference of that. Or you can uh, make a you know, compound index that has terms of age and gender, and then uh, put whatever you want to filter on. Um, the great thing about indexes in Fauna is they're very cheap. You can create as many of them as you want you know, in an SQL database. Uh, the more indexes you create, the worse your write throughput. In Fauna, that's just not the case. You can just have as many as you want, um, and it, it performs pretty much the same. Um, so yeah, that that's another reason why I like Fauna is because as a as a user using the service, you really don't have to worry about scale or performance. You can just uh, figure out what data model you need and make it, and it should perform pretty well. You don't have to worry about, for example, running out of disk space because you have infinite disk space with Fauna. But yes, you will incur, I think, more of a charge from your, your disk usage in your bill uh, from having extra indexes. Because it does, for example, if you index gender, um, you know, you'll have male and female for every single record in your user collection. And you have to 
however much that costs in terms of if it's a a boolean for is male or if it's a three gender for non-binary and you have a string there uh, those bytes are going to cost you in storage for double storing them so when i was developing it before i actually went live and did a lot of um crawling uh, i actually had zero bill for the first you know nine months of development i didn't pay anything on azure and i didn't pay anything on fauna so i had zero dollars development cost uh, once i went live my crawlers that are calling the music APIs, which I was running, you know, 24-7, I accumulated in a month, I'm accumulating maybe like 50 million reads and somewhere between 10 and 20 million writes. Um, so my bill ends up being somewhere between 40 and $60 a month for that, um, which is pretty manageable. It's still less than if, if I would have went, for example, maybe a Mongo cluster or, or a Neo4j cluster, I probably will be spending $200 a month just to make sure I have something that can handle a decent amount of traffic um, during a, a peak time or if, if something crazy were to happen. Yeah, so that definitely sounds familiar. I've had uh, quite a few of those clusters in the past. Even at dev once, uh, you still have to have something just so that just to be able to use it. And uh, they do rack up on your cost pretty quickly. And uh, so you've been developing with Fauna, you've been developing with uh, Azure for a while. Um, how do you find that experience? Was there any sort of platform limits that you run into and makes your life difficult? Um, well, with Fauna, there were, there were a few hiccups with the C-sharp client library, but the development team was very receptive. They got those worked out. And now if anyone's developing with the Fauna client library, it should be pretty perfect because I've managed to work out a lot of those bugs and it's a lot better now. Um, in terms of Azure, there was a few pain points with, um, I was trying to do their durable orchestrators where you can scale out and scale in um, some of their, their functions. So for example, um, let's say I want to bill users um, every month for their subscriptions. What you wanna do is get all the users and then you wanna scale out to have basically one function for each user and have Azure functions sort of deal with that. Um, I ran into some configuration problems where it would work on my laptop and on Azure for some reason when I had the durable uh, NuGet uh, package, it would not work. Um, so, and there were, there were a couple other things with Azure where when you deploy it, it seemed like I had to work through a few problems. Um, but after, you know, five or six hours i was able to work through that it wasn't that big of a deal um i've heard that is sometimes one complaint with azure functions in the past um it seems like it's gotten getting better at every year as they uh improve their their service but people do say there are some of those weird little bugs you get with azure functions that's very similar to what I've heard from other people as well. Uh, but in general, both the you know, both platforms like Azure and uh, you know, Lambda are improving all the time. But there are always some niggling pains uh, as, uh, that you run into from time to time. And if we were to sort of build Scrub again, uh, what would you have done different this time around, having done it again, having done it once already? Um. To be honest, if I were to develop it in terms of the architecture and, and what technologies are used, I think I would use it exactly the same way. I would have FaunaDB, I would have Azure Functions, um, and I would use Xamarin. So, I mean, there's there's some coding things that I've done that I might do a little differently, but uh, nothing too major. Um, 
I honestly think I would develop it pretty much the same way again. Okay, so I guess uh, that's indicate. Well, that's a good indication that uh, things didn't work out that badly then. <laughs> yeah, they they went pretty well. Almost all the bugs are UI bugs that I've run into on the mobile app. So I haven't had almost any bugs with FaunaDB or Azure Functions in production. That's really good to hear. Um, um, so I would like to thank you for joining me today. Uh, is there anything that you want to tell the listeners about uh, Squab? And potentially, maybe what you what what you're working on? Are you uh, doing any any other new projects? Yeah, so I'm working on a, a sort of a fintech project that deals with payments, also and uh, maintaining Squirrel. While my partner um, is sort of promoting it, he owns a record label, and he's and we're kind of doing a small test with his artists. Uh, we haven't really tried to push it too hard. But um, in terms of Squirb, if, if you know any artists who want to come on board and want to join, uh, tell them to email us. Um, they can email us at either like support at squirb.com. Um, we'd love to have them on board. And uh, if you want to try it out, just feel free to go to squirb.com and you'll see the Android and iOS download links. Great. And how can people find you on the internet? You can find me um, on LinkedIn by uh, searching Keston Crandall. Um, it's LinkedIn slash in slash Keston dash Crandall is probably the best way to connect with me. Or you can email me at uh, Keston at Scrub.com. Okay, great. I'll make sure those details are available in the show notes as well. Uh, and once again, thank you very much for joining me and sharing your experience with uh, us. And uh, yeah, take care and stay safe in these uh, strange times. Yeah, you too, Jan. Stay safe. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. So that's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes, please go to realworldserverless.com. If you want to learn how to build production-ready serverless applications, please check out my upcoming courses at productionreadyserverless.com and I'll see you guys next time.